can we be stewards of God's creation in a heavily populated world with increasing urbanization and finite natural resources? How do we think about environmental stewardship with the mind of Christ? How do we care for God's creation in a biblically informed way? What can we do personally in and around our homes, in our churches, in our businesses, and in other places where we live, work, and enjoy the outdoors? Stay with us. We have a special guest who works on these issues on a daily basis and lives out his faith as he serves. Welcome to Hill Country Institute Live, Exploring Christ and Culture. This is the program that brings you in touch with ministry leaders, business, academic, and government leaders to consider how Christians should relate to people in our lives and the culture around us with the heart and mind of Christ. I'm Larry Lenichmet, your host, and we're excited to have an ongoing conversation about issues of concern to the body of Christ. We invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org. We have previous programs there, as well as uh, audio and video from past conferences on topics including faith and fill-in-the-blank, faith and culture, uh, including art, science, business, and many other topics. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. And you can also hear past programs on our podcast as Hill Country Institute Live. We encourage you to consider donating uh, at hillcountryinstitute.org or calling 512-680-7993. The radio stations enjoy having us on the air, I think, but they like to be paid. So funny thing, we we need to continue to pay them. So we uh, invite you to consider uh, supporting the program and also going to hear uh, past speakers at our conferences, people like Alistair McGrath and Walter Bradley, Oz Guinness, John Burke, and many others. Uh, That's at hillcountryinstitute.org. So we want to welcome our special guest today, Mark Purcell. Uh, Mark's the leader of an international creation care ministries work here in the United States, and he has a, a great deal of experience on this on this issue. So, um, Mark, just welcome to Hill Country Institute Live. Thank you, Larry. Happy to be here. Great. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, so, Mark, uh, before we get to creation care and your ministry, uh, let me just ask you a couple of questions so people can get to know you a little bit. I understand that when you were a young man, a boy, you moved around quite a bit. Uh, you spent some time in San Antonio. What uh, what led your family to move around like that? So my father was in the military. He was in the U.S. Army. And I think it was required on average of every two and a half years, they'd have to kick him out and we'd have to move somewhere else. So it wasn't always quite that frequently. Uh, frequently, we had to move, but on a very consistent basis. So we bounced back and forth uh, between various cities and parts of the country. So, but yeah, a, a good portion of um, our, my childhood was uh, in San Antonio. Well, it would, it would seem for the work that you're you're doing now that that gave you a, a broad vision and having seen a lot of places. You know, that's a great point. I, I, I we drove everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I did see, I've been to all 50 states. Okay. Hawaii was my 50th, saving the best for last. Um, <laughs> so we, I literally have driven through all 50 states and probably did 40 of them before I graduated from college. So, wow, that's, um, a, that's a lot of territory to yeah, cover. Yeah. It really is. Well, uh, you, you also moved a little bit in your educational background. Uh, tell, us, tell us about your, your education. You know, I... At one point, really wanted to be a photographer or a filmmaker, and I went on a trip around the world with the Presbyterian Church, and it really changed me. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, we essentially visited missionaries all over the world, Asia, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, uh, Russia, and it just gave me a whole different perspective. And as a result of that, I really wanted to be more engaged in education. And so. Mm-hmm. 
for the first part of my career, that's what I did. I worked in higher education and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that and um, did that for many years in California and in Seattle. That's great. And, and that has a real tie to what we're going to be talking about right. in terms yep. of your, your ministry work now. So uh, when you were in Seattle, you were in the tech industry. Yeah. How, did, how did that tie to education? It didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I jumped into the tech industry for a variety of reasons, but it was a bit jarring to go from higher education uh, into uh, places like Amazon.com. Uh, they were fascinated that I had a doctorate in education. They didn't quite know what to do with it, so my manager would call me Dr. Mark um, <laughs> in jest. I think they were impressed, but also it was a bit of a head-scratcher. It was a head-scratcher for me, too, to be honest with you. Why did I do this? <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, I mean, being, it, was, it was good preparation for being in, in Austin, though, because this is such a, a tech-oriented city. Well, I think that I have benefited tremendously from being in the marketplace uh, it is a different set of values, different set of rules uh, than certainly the nonprofit space or higher education. And uh, arrogantly, I went into it thinking I'm stepping down from higher ed into mm. the commercial space. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely blown away by the level of intelligence, hard work, the commitment. Um, so it was a real eye opener for me. I mean, I really I went yeah. uh, it was a jarring transition for me. Um, took some while, it took, took some time to adjust, but I was able to do it and um, has, have been very, very thankful for my experience in the, in the commercial sector. Sure. Well, that's really a commentary on calling, isn't it? That that, that helps you to see mm. uh, how that's a good and valid calling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody is prepared to work out of a cube. Mm -hmm. um, but there is great opportunity to uh, work with people in that context. Sure. Uh, you know, it's it's not it's not an easy transition for for a graduate to go from uh, the glories of uh, undergraduate education, and the next thing you know, you're in a three foot by three foot cube staring <laughs> at a screen all day. But um, if, if if one is able to transcend that, there is uh, rich and deep relationships that um, are developed even in even in you know, obviously in that context as yeah. well as anywhere else. So, yeah, sure. um, I. I, I think my education really started when I left the academy, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no, I think I think we can all reflect on that in some fashion, yeah. that there's at least a different element of education going oh, on. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not academic in the same same mm -hmm. way, but it's certainly an education. Yeah. Well, you you were in the tech world, and, and something really developed your interest in creation care and what that means for a Christian. How did that come about? Well, I, I think— it's been sort of an avocational interest ever since childhood. You know, we grew up hunting and fishing and just being outdoors. Mm -hmm. um, and that had a profound impact. Uh, I don't even think I realized the impact that that had on um, our family, and my brother and I in particular, where um, we just grew up outside and we didn't have the same temptations of screens in the way that we do now. And uh, it was, for me, I think, um, the default and so I've always carried that with me and really missed it when I got in, in more into my adult life where I, I felt disconnected mm -hmm. really from nature and the natural world, especially when you live in an urban context. It's, it's hard to maintain that. You have to be very sure. intentional about it. Right. So I think always um, there was this interest and love really of creation and of God's world. Um, and so when I, uh, I met Peter and Miranda Harris, oddly on my honeymoon 20-some <laughs> uh, years ago, 
um, I was I just became enamored with the Arasha story mm-hmm. and uh, over time found, found the opportunity to get involved in the organization as a volunteer and then as a board member and then that's really how, it, how um, I was led into this particular yeah. role okay. in the U.S. Well, let's uh, let's talk about it now. I've, I have in my notes. I want to be sure we get this pronunciation right. Uh, I'm from East Texas, and I can pretty much mispronounce anything. But, <laughs> that's but a you, that's a trademark of all Texans, I think. <laughs> well, but if you listen long enough to a Texan, the word will eventually get yeah, out. Right, and you can right. Figure it out. But uh, so this this ministry, it's a capital A, and then a space, and then a capital R O C H A. So. Why don't you pronounce it just so everybody hears it real clearly? I will say it in very terrible Portuguese. Ahasha. Ahasha. Okay. Uh, we say Arasha in English or Arosha. Many people say Arosha. Totally uh-huh. appropriate. Uh, I have one friend that pronounces it Almond Roca, which is not correct, <laughs> but I let him do it anyway. It works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. It means the rock, by mm-hmm. the way. And it's based on both a spiritual implications of the rock being God, but also a, a region in the south of Portugal that is called Arasha. Mm-hmm. So it is sort of a, a fusion of those two ideas. So uh, how did how did the ministry end up uh, being in Portugal? Well, that is a grand and long story that I will not do justice to here now, but Peter and Miranda Harris essentially did not want to um, be in a traditional parish scenario and, and wanted to be missionaries. And yeah, so they he's, went, he's a, an Anglican priest. That's right. Just, uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Uh, and he's been on your show, actually. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fun. So, yes, he is. He's very delightful. Uh, so they went to Portugal and essentially set up a bird observatory in, in an estuary in uh, uh, the southern tip of Portugal. And in addition to that, established a, a community uh, whereby uh, I think they were very missional in their their approach. I mean, this was not just about the birds, right? Mm-hmm. We often say people and places, right, in in in, um, in concert. Yes. Um, so it was about both people and place, and it's a very important place in terms of its biodiversity and the needs. And so they established a, uh, a center, really. Uh, Cruzinha is what it's, what it's called, mm-hmm. and they lived there together. They worked out of um, the center and did work, uh, bird work primarily, and other work as well on the estuary there. But around it, they formed a very hospitable community, mm-hmm. uh, primarily primarily for locals. Mm-hmm. Um, but all sorts of crazy characters came through that place, and there's this has been documented in several books that Peter has written. But it um, it would be. Uh, important for me to point out that the community aspect of that is probably as important as the conservation piece. Sure. I mean, ostensibly, they're about conservation science and doing science, <laughs> but they're doing it in, in a, a, first, a Christian context, and B, in a community context. Uh, I've had the great pliv- privilege of being of spending some time there, and I've seen it in action, and it is, uh, it's an amazing place. Um, and there's other centers around the world that are similar that have been fashioned after that. But the, the sense of hospitality and sort of this missional approach to this work of creation care is deeply embedded in the DNA of Arasha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, the estuary, uh, estuaries are just such critical habitat, mm. young fish, birds, nesting. Uh, you know, there's just so many things that go on there. Is this something that they had identified with a specific uh, ecological uh, purpose in mind? Or? I, I think so, yeah. I think yeah. that was definitely part of it. And that estuary has been under significant pressure from developers. Mm-hmm. And they've, in a very local context, um, 
help resist and really go to go, um, take it to the Portuguese courts to prevent these developers from illegally developing uh, in this part of, of um, southern Portugal. And it's critical. Yeah. Um, I, I think that people sometimes forget that the options for uh, critters uh, are often limited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we begin to bulldoze and, and um, you know, eliminate habitat. Yeah. They have to go somewhere else or, or they die. So mm-hmm. this is such a critical part um, in terms of migration and the birds that come through there, um, and which they, they um, banned or bur- um, ring, as they call it there. Uh-huh. Uh, every year they do the storm petrels as they're coming through. And I think they've had a bird that's close to 20 years uh, old that they have they banded about 17 or 18 years ago that they recaught. Oh, so, like, yeah. I've seen an old friend. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's great. So uh, Peter and Miranda begin with the with a vision for perhaps one place only. Mm. But uh, tell tell us about some of the other places and, and stories that go go with those other uh, endeavors. Well, uh, Arash is involved in about twenty countries now, and I don't think anyone anticipated the explosive growth um, and interest of this work. And the stories are too numerous to tell, but um, people that would come to Krasinia would stay there maybe for summer or, you know, maybe longer, sort of got the Arasha fever (laughs) and wanted to take it somewhere else. And so um, there's projects in Kenya and in India, uh, um, Oceania, right, New Zealand and Australia now, South Africa, um, Uganda, really all over the world. And it's not just sort of a Western initiative, right? It is in the global South. It's very, you know, because most of the challenged um, biodiversity in the world is in the global South. And we want Christians there and involved. And so I I think there's been a huge and concerted effort to engage not just people that look like me, but um, really People from you know it's a worldwide initiative, and that's yeah. that's I think very very important to the organization. Well, and that's and that goes back to the community then, because you you're if if you can build something that's local but has an international connection, yeah. then don't you have the both best of both worlds? Yes, ideally that's correct. It's yeah. not without its challenges, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, they grew the organization grew very quickly, mm-hmm. and that comes with certain challenges that you just simply can't anticipate. So I think yeah. we're we've. We're going some, through some, some growing pains right now to really kind of understand how we best organize ourselves to allow these various organizations and new organizations to come on board and flourish. Mm-hmm. So if people want to learn more about Arosha, let's, uh, let's tell them how to do that. So in the United States, it's um, arosha.us. So it's A-R-O-C-H-A dot U-S. We also have an international site. That, that's, that's all one word, Arosha yeah. dot Okay. .us, right? Not Just US. URL okay. for that. Um, we have a mothership uh, that the international uh, uh, team manages as well if you want a more international picture, mm-hmm. and that's arosha.org, O-R-G. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And you can get to that site from our site as well. Yeah. So uh, if you were to, to say this is our mission, this is Arosha's mission, right? Wh- wh- how would you describe that? It's a great question. It's something we struggle to to. Uh, make clear. Mm-hmm. In the United States, we, we talk about restoring people and places. Um, ultimately, our vision is shalom, right? Yeah. I and mean, that's probably true for any Christian, is a right relationship, a harmonious relationship with 
not just God and not just one another, but also with the creation, the full creation. So um, that, that's ultimately our vision. And I think for us, we, we through education, through scientific research, and especially through conservation projects, we mm-hmm. want to work to restore people and places. Mm-hmm. And well, those, are, those are fused, right? I mean, there's yeah. many, many organizations that are just focused on the land or on, on certain species. And that's great. We need that. Yeah. And then there's many mission organiza- organizations that are just focused on people. That's great, too. We try to blend those a little bit, right, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. We, want, mm-hmm. we don't want to devalue people, and we certainly don't want to devalue the creation. We want, to, we want both to flourish um, sure. in a harmonious uh, context. Well, in, in uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 31, you, you see this creation that God made, and then kind of the capstone, he, he, he creates us humans. Yeah. And then he says, you know, this is good, and I want you to take care of it. And that's really what you're talking about, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that is God's mandate for us. The birds are there, the fish yep. of the sea, the beast of the field. Uh, it's not like we're, uh, the word dominion comes up. And, and dominion can be a good word, can it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. But dominion can also has some negative connotations if it's twisted out of context, doesn't it? I- We've got a history replete with examples of that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the, the, I think it's called the creational mandate in theological terms, which was given to be fruitful and multiply. But mm-hmm. I, of, of, you know, I was reminded that that was initially given to the birds of the air and the fish in the sea. They were also given a creational mandate. Mm-hmm. So it, it, um, God loves the creation and God wants all the creation to flourish. And our job, I think, is to to what is the right calculus there, right? Mm-hmm. We're not not going to have an impact on the planet. Just we're going to. So sure. We have at some level a disconnected or broken relationship with creation. There's a whole, you know, we'll dig into that theology. But how do we account for all of God's creation? All, all the time you'll hear, how do we help people flourish? That's a great question, but how do we help creation yeah. flourish, yeah. right? And so getting in, involved in ways that um, where both can happen together, that's a beautiful thing. It's not easy to do, and it's hard to do, mm-hmm. especially as you know, the population is growing. Mm-hmm. But um, that is kind of where, our, where we want to be is in, in that uh, connective tissue. Yeah. No, I, think that's, I think that's our challenge, isn't it? Because uh, – Population's over seven billion now, and and world population's projected to go to nine and a half billion or so, and maybe maybe level off there. But that's, you know, another another two billion people on a planet that's already stretched for resources. Right. There's so, just so many ways that that uh, that creates problems. You know, yeah. more more concrete, creating more reflection for heat, uh, fishing pressure, right. uh, more land that needs to be farmed, uh, which means fewer forests and. There's, there's, it's just one thing after another, and they all feed on each other. Right, right. I, I, this is my opinion. Um, I, I think that we have for so long lived without constraints. Mm-hmm. We haven't needed them. Like the West, you know, our, our sort of manifest destiny, our idea of the West is it's unlimited and the resources are unlimited. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. I mean, I fall prey to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I like my lifestyle. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think that as... Uh, in my, you know, in my neck, neck of the woods, as I see the population massively increasing, um, it, it, we have to think about what constraints we want to bring to the table, because I, I, I think 
We can no longer say there are none. We all know that there are. Look at traffic. Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so yeah. It, how do we how do we do that in a way that's honoring um, to the land and it's honoring to people? People got to live somewhere, right? So right. we can't just say, oh yeah, go find somewhere else to live. They got to live somewhere. Yeah. We need developers. We need good developers to understand that we don't want to just bulldoze over these ten acres and put up as many houses as possible. Let's let's work with what we have, and, and, mm-hmm. and obviously some developers are doing this, and they're doing a fantastic job with it. But how do we live more harmoniously so that the land can continue to serve as habitat at some level with native species um, that will allow the flora and fauna to continue to to, to function, yeah. rather than yeah. sort of a rip and replace mentality, just so we can jam as many homes in as possible. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that's a little contentious for some people, and I get it. If you're a free market uh, person, I get it. But yeah. I, I think there's constraints that as a Christian, I'm bringing to the table that are important to me. Sure. Well, and, and you're, that, that's not necessarily an anti-free market statement. No. Because we, we have to think of those constraints and then operate in a free market way mm. in, in a way that allows the creation to flourish. Right. If, if, I mean, I guess one question is, if creation doesn't flourish, <laughs> how long will humans be able to flourish? <clears throat> Um, your guess is as good as mine, but there, uh, I don't think we can pretend any longer to say it won't have an impact because yeah. it will. Yeah. Well, and, uh, um, we, we can probably talk all day about plastics, but if we, if we just take that as one issue that we're dealing with, right. uh, and, and look at the oceans mm-hmm. in the context of plastic, uh, we've, 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 one of my friends who's a nurse scientist summed it up well. He said, the oceans are a mess. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, being succinct is, is, has great value. Yeah. But we've, we've got uh, f- flooding at high tide on the East Coast in places like Norfolk and, and uh, Miami Beach and Boston, places that didn't have that 50 or 60 years ago. So mm-hmm. this is, this, something's going on that's making that warmer water rise. We're losing over half the corals in the world. They're either dead or under duress. Mm-hmm. And the corals are so important because 25% of the ocean life is in the corals at right. some point. And then we've got this plastic surge going on. Right. Uh, you know, I think everyone's probably aware there's a mass of plastic bigger than the state of Texas floating in the Pacific. Right. And there's one that's pretty darn big in the Atlantic. I think it, right. it, stretch, it, would stretch, it stretches from a space that's roughly the size of Cuba to Virginia. Right. So, you know, we, we have to think about what what are we doing because th- the increased population is going to add to fishing pressure, which is already intense in some areas, and some of the species are already under duress right. and suffering from fishing right. pressure. Yeah. So I know there <laughs> <laughs> Now <laughs> you're preaching. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, kind of gone off there but that's uh, all right no it's good 70 percent of the world 70 percent of the planet is covered in oceans Mm. i mean think about that yeah um what we think about most people don't think about the oceans unless unless you live near it you know Mm -hmm. we um 70 percent of the planet and it is under tremendous pressure from a whole variety of factors we have a new marine program and we have um uh internationally but we but it's now based in titusville florida for us and Bob Sluka is um, the director down there, and he does a lot with plastics. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's a really difficult issue insofar as we're eating and drinking plastic. Yeah. We don't know the implications of that. Certainly, I forget how many species of birds eat the plastic and die as a result of it. I mean, it, yeah. it, 
it obviously is going to have an impact, and it is having an impact. So do sea turtles and whales. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's endemic in the whole right. ocean ecosystem. And also recently there's a study that uh, there's an uh, excessive amount of microplastics in the Great Lakes sediment. Yeah, right. So it's it's not just it's, an ocean. Yeah, no, that's true. It, and, yeah. and at some level the gig is up, right? I mean, our mm-hmm. attitude of um, disposing of things, throwing it in the, in, in the trash can, thinking it's gone, it's out of our sight, we kick the problem down the road to somebody else, that's coming back at some level to, to haunt us. And mm-hmm. I think we just need to think about it upstream. What are we doing? How can we reduce the amount of waste mm-hmm. that, that we are producing? It's just about getting more efficient, right? It's not about shaming people. Yeah. You're not recycling, therefore you're a terrible person, right? Like how do we as a society, as a culture, rethink our consumption in a way that's more efficient that produces less waste. That waste has to go somewhere. We've all been to the dump. We know what it's like. Yeah. Um, and now that China's no longer buying our recycled goods, we got we got to uh, rethink this even more because the rec- the, our, our impact of, uh, um, with recycling has been reduced as a result of that. So uh, it, it's a huge challenge, and I don't pretend to have an answer. But I do think, as a Christian, I think about these things differently now. Um, and want to act in such a way that is honoring to God's creation and not treating it as either a gold mine or an ashtray. <laughs> yeah, oh, I think I think those are good analogies. Uh, Mark, we need to take a break, so so let's uh, let's head towards break time. Uh, if you're listening, this is Hill Country Institute Live. I'm Larry Leninschmidt, your host. I really thank you for being with us today. I invite you to visit the website of the Hill Country Institute. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. We have recordings and videos from our past conferences on many topics, including the spiritual formation of C.S. Lewis, faith in science and faith in art and faith in many other topics. And our speakers include Eugene Peterson, Alistair McGrath, Andy Crouch, Steve Meyer, John Burke, and many others. If you're looking for gifts, the CDs and DVDs make wonderful gifts. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. And our radio programs are also available as podcasts on your podcast app as Hill Country Institute Live. And we appreciate your consideration in supporting the Hill Country Institute. You can do that online at our website, or you can call 512-680-7993. That's 512-680-7993. We thank you again for being with us, and we'll be right back. <laughs> 